Hey, I've got a thought for you. I want you just to stew on it a minute, and then we're going to unpack it together. The thought is this. If you can just be normal, you'll just survive. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be taking care of business. Hey, if you're new to the 48 Days Radio Show, welcome in. This is where each week we unpack questions from you real-life listeners, real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then how to find or create work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. That's what we do. But trust me, this is where normal, indecision, ambiguity come to die. Those just don't survive around here. So we're going to talk about this thing about being normal. Now, I was contacted by one of our longtime listeners, and I've got a conversation that I want to share because this was such an exemplary example of so many of the things that we discuss on here. Now, this young man was following his passion. He had an incredible gig with a really hot Christian rock band. He'll tell you about that. But with a growing family, that became an issue. I mean, being a dad who is on the road most of the time, it's hard to make work. So he committed to redirecting without really being clear on what he was going to do from there on, but he experimented a little bit, developed another passion, and he found a way to blend his passion, talent, create far more money than ever before. So that's what we're going to be unpacking. But now here's what I want you to be thinking about as we go through this, and I'm going to challenge you with these questions at the end as well when I do kind of a recap. How are you developing your right mindset. Now, I'm going to be asking Jeff about his. How are you developing your right mindset? How are you finding your right idea? How are you connecting to your right network? What is your zone of genius? What makes you distinctive? How are you blending passion, talent, and money? Now, if you can answer those questions and feel really great about your answers, you're rocking it. You are on track and crushing it. I know you are. If not, then I want you to identify the areas where you need to have more clarity. Our quotation today comes from Jesse Cole, owner of Savannah Bananas. You've heard me talk about him on here a lot. He says, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So that's his advice. And doing that has allowed him to do some things that people said could not be done filling a baseball, an old decrepit baseball stadium with 4,000 fans week after week after week when uh, major league teams have a hard time getting three and 400 to come out. So our resource for today is eight questions to ask yourself to mine your own acres of diamonds and unearth the opportunities that exist in your life already. So if you go to 48days.com slash questions, you're going to see those questions there that you can ask yourself, eight questions to get you on track. Now, this is my conversation. I'm going to go right into my conversation with Jeff Jones. Um, He lives in Mobile, Alabama. He's 48 years old, which I thought was pretty cool too. Longtime podcast listener, as you'll hear, he found this way to blend his passion, talent, create more money than ever before. So I want you just to listen to our conversation 
And then I'm going to have just a wrap-up summary for you, some takeaways on you can do the same thing to get your life to come alive like Jeff has. Here's our conversation. Well, Jeff, it's my delight to have this conversation with you today. You are one of those quintessential examples of people who have done pretty much everything we talk about here at 48 Days. I'm delighted to kind of unpack, and I appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, just giving me an update as you've done over the years, but offering to have this conversation. So welcome, my friend. Thank you. It is truly an honor to be here. Well, thanks. My goodness, our, our relationship goes way back. I don't even remember how it actually started out, but give, give us a little refresher of our history together. Sure. Well, the very first time I heard about Dan Miller with 48 Days to the Work You Love, it was listening to the Dave Ramsey show and then got, you know, to where I was listening to your podcast. And then uh, we had a mutual friend and the way we got, well, the way we first met in person was in my former career when I was with the band, uh, we had a road manager who was friends, I believe, with with your daughter's husband and I got connected and he sent you guys tickets to come to our show. And then I met you at the lobby with a big stack of autograph CDs from the band. And that was my way of trying to get, you know, connected with Dan Miller. And then of course we've stayed connected ever since. Golly. Well, let's go, go ahead and, you know, tell them what band you were with and what your position was and how long you were there. Sure. Well, if, if this were actually video, you'd be able to tell that I was actually the littlest of the Big Daddy Weaves. <laughs> so I was in the band called Big Daddy Weave uh, in the Christian music industry and did that from uh, 1999 until January of 2013 and traveled, did about 1500 concerts over that time frame, 49 states, and uh, just got to really do what I loved to do at that time. And then uh, just kind of came to a place where I said, you know what? I really need to focus on my family and my children and marriage. And you can't do that being gone 150 days a year um, in the way that I wanted to at that point in life. All right. But now let's back up a little bit because this is really significant because you didn't end up in a position like that, you know, a notable position where you would be considered by others to be famous and all those good, cool things just by kind of walking around or just, you know, stroking the drums a few times. So was that an early goal of yours when you were young? How old were you in 1999? I was, let's see, I'm 48 now and I went to public school. That's so it's going to take me a while for the math. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Uh, I, I was, uh, oh my goodness. I can't even remember. I was, I guess, in my late 20s. Oh, that's right. It was before I got married. I got married at 27. So I believe it was around 25. Okay. Got uh, into the band. What did, and, you, uh, what did you done prior to that? I mean, was that so music kind of your I had focus? Well, I had a degree uh, in psychology of all things. All and right. as soon as I graduated, I started working for a dinner band at a hotel. And I was teaching private lessons. So I had a, a private studio uh, going on, you know, about 30 students a week. And then I was playing in this band at night at a hotel. I was doing recordings off and on, and I was real involved in my church. Well, uh, I heard about this band, uh, called dog named David and they needed the drummer. So I auditioned for it. It was just a local band. And then about a year or so later, we, uh, got a, a booking at the university of mobile. And we heard about this new band that had never played a concert publicly and they were called Big Daddy Weave in the Institution. And they were going to open for us. So here we are. You know, we were the big headliner. And this this new band, Big Daddy Weave, was opening. Well, 
after the concert, we were thinking, man, I want to play in that band. Like they were so good. And uh, fast forward a few months, Big Daddy, uh, excuse me, Dog Named David, they went on the road as a duo with a group called Kademan's Call. And so they didn't need us anymore. So we were kind of, you know, I was the drummer. I was without a serious gig. And then a few months later, I got a phone call from Big Daddy Weave and they said, hey, our current drummer who'd been with him for about a year decided to go back to college and you're the guy we know in town. So, you know, you've played events with us, you're friends with the other guys in the band. Why don't you be the new drummer? And I said, you don't have to ask me twice. Wow. And we went into the studio about two weeks later and we got to record an album for completely free over the course of that next year at a multi-million dollar studio that's currently owned now by boxer Roy Jones Jr. in Pensacola, Florida. And then of course the dominoes started to happen. We got picked up by an independent label in Nashville, Tennessee, and they brought us up there and, you know, showed us all around. We signed on the dotted line and then went on tour immediately with some other bands and then went on another tour. Then we had a, you know, song on the radio, then another song, then another song. And before you knew it, we were headlining tours playing for 2000 people. And, and then they needed a merchandise guy to run the merch table. Well, I like business. They all knew that, you know, instead of listening to the new YouTube of the new U2 album, I was, you know, wanting to listen to the, you know, new Tony Robbins book or, you know, Dan Miller book, you know, things about business. And so they gave me that job and then I was selling merchandise and that's where I got connected with some different merchandise items like custom printed drumsticks. And that's, that's how I then got an idea. And I said, you know, I'm on the road. I'm not making much money because everybody knows you don't go into Christian touring music uh, for the money uh, because it's a very, very small niche market compared to the rest of the industries out there. But you do it because you truly, truly love doing it and for the ministry and the impact you have. So I did that, but I needed to supplement my income. So I started a little custom drumstick business on the side and grew that and got to the point where I was making probably... I was shipping and I was just the middleman for a major manufacturer, but I was shipping about 30,000 pair of drumsticks a year wow. to all these other touring bands like Casting Crowns, Toby Mac, Mercy Me, uh, even, you know, Mick Fleetwood's restaurant in Hawaii, um, the band 311. So I did all of that while I was floating down the road in a 50 or a 45 foot tour bus. Uh, I was doing that in the back lounge while I was on the road with the band. So you so were, it was it was crazy. Well, and so you were thriving as a musician, but instead of just sitting on that as your only thing, you were developing other ideas. The business side of what Big Daddy Weave was doing, you being the merchandise guy, and you know I have right here in my hand my uh, my drumsticks personalized for Dan Miller Forty Eight Days. Now you know that I'm not a musician. I'm not a drummer. But I love the way that you, in this period of time, kept nurturing relationships. I mean, we talk about that a lot around here, the relationships you're building. So you kept me informed. I mean, I, re I recall times you telling me about listening to my podcast on the tour bus with the guys and all that. So somewhere in there, so you were there for 14 years, I think, in your numbers that you gave me. And at that point, you were married. Tell us, did you, did you have either of your two girls at that point? Yeah, actually, I remember going down the road in the tour bus in the middle of, I think, Arizona when uh, my wife called me and told me that she was pregnant with our first child. So over the course of that time, we had two girls 
And so being a dad, a husband, all of that was going on while I was on the road. Okay. And that course kind of changed your thinking about all the time spent away. So how did you come to that decision? It had to be a big deal to walk away from a very successful touring band at that point. It was probably the hardest decision I've ever made, but then in other ways, it was also the easiest decision because it was so clear that this was what I needed to do. And, you know, just to set that up, I mean, I knew, I said, you know, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 60. And, you know, it's just not what I wanted to do for a long-term goal. Well, then I started kind of counting back. Well, do I want to do that when I'm 50? You know, what, what is my exit? And I can't just leave cold Turkey. I've got to have something that's going on the side um, so that I can get off the road, be able to spend more time. And, And it was a struggle for me because I remember specifically that trying to get off for a friend's wedding or be there for dance recitals for my girls. I mean, those were major, major disruptions in our touring schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, and I was preparing that behind the scenes with my drumstick company. You know, I was starting to develop public speaking and those type of things were starting to grow so that when the time did come to leave, I didn't leave cold turkey. I actually had some things in the works so that I could then kind of develop that and I would have somewhat of a cushion. Okay. But at that point, so that was about seven seven or eight years ago, apparently. And at that period of time, again, husband, daddy of two little girls, you decided to leave. So you had started to nurture some other ideas. And one of those being speaking, you decided you wanted to be a speaker, correct? That's right. Okay. Absolutely. I've always loved public speaking and you know, it's funny when you're a little, when you're a kid, you get in trouble for talking too much in school. And then it's so ironic that later in life I got paid for it. Uh, <laughs> I always find that funny, but I was always the guy when we would do youth camps and they would look at the band and they'd say, Hey, we want you to lead worship. Hey, can one of you guys speak at a small group, a breakout session? And they would always turn around and look at me and they'd say, yeah, he'll do it. And so that's really how I got my start were these impromptu sessions and, and then it started to grow and develop. And I connected with Kent Julian, you know, with, with the group uh, that you've talked about many times, Mm -hmm. Kent helped me, coached me in in a lot of ways. But so when I left the band, I had that uh, and I immediately hit the ground running. I started, you know, getting some local speaking events and then with the drumsticks, I had that going as well. But I have to say it was, uh, it was rough <laughs> to say the least. It was a rough transition. It wasn't as smooth as I wanted, but I stayed faithful and things started to develop. Okay. Now, when we back up again, got a degree in psychology, got connected with the music, obviously a clear passion of yours. You realized you didn't want to be on the road, you know, sleeping on a bus when you're 60 years old. So you started to back up that process that you yep. described. You know, these, these major career changes that you're talking about. So you quit the band. Hey, incidentally, before we leave that chapter, give us a title of or the name of a couple of the really big songs that you guys had out with Big Daddy Weave that people would recognize. So probably the biggest is called I Am Redeemed. Oh um, that gosh. was on the last record that I was a part of. Uh, there's another one called Audience of One. And then since leaving the band, uh, they have another really big song called This Is My Story, 
So a lot of big songs. Oh it was just a, it was an amazing time. Well, that's a, that's a challenging kind of process when you have something that uh, involves your, your income, your credibility, your ego and all of that. But for real life reasons, you chose to separate. So you moved into this, you know, speaking now talk then to us about this transition into what you're doing now, how that came about. So the interesting thing, when I left the band, I really stepped on the gas with my, my drumstick company. And I mean, I was thinking I'm going to, you know, get these drumsticks in stores around the country. I'm going to, and I was sending out samples. I was working very hard, but I wasn't getting a lot of traction and I was making a little bit of money. And then with speaking, you know, I connected with, with a group, uh, like high school leadership uh, programs like F. FBLA, DECA, FCCLA, those are large leadership groups and they're on a national level. So I was speaking at some of those. I mean, I was speaking for a couple thousand students at a time. It was, it was a big deal, um, but I wasn't really making any real money. And when I mean real money, and th- you know, this is kind of a deep topic, but it's the real thing. This is what I struggled with. I, as a man, I wanted to be able to make a a solid income where my wife didn't feel like, you know, the mortgage might not be paid in three months. And, and so I really struggled with that. I was like, I've got to have something more consistent. And all this time, you know, I, I tried selling life insurance, failed miserably. Dan, the craziest thing ever. I sold insurance for three months and I only sold two policies. Oh my both gosh. of them both of them were to myself, you know, because <laughs> it was crazy. I, I needed the money that bad, oh, no, that's but great. I kept the policies. I still have them to this day, but I, uh, I failed at that. And I don't like to use the word failed because of what I learned was I learned what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I did public speaking. I had my drumstick business. I even sold miniature baseball bats. Um, I got into voiceover work. I mean, whether you can tell or not, but I actually like, you know, doing those kind of commercials and I didn't do you know, I didn't do too well at that. And, and, and then there was a point about two and a half years ago where I was desperate. I said, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do quote with the rest of my life. And that's when I went, uh, heard about this public speaker conference out in Las Vegas and it was a mastermind group. And I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm not messing around. I've got to find out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life where I can really you know, have a career. And so I went to the conference two days solid. And at the end of the conference, I found out, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do public speaking because I love it. I feel like I'm good at it. You know, we often have to reflect on what are you really good at? Well, I I knew I was good at it, um, but I didn't want to travel a whole bunch. And what topic do I love talking about more than anything in the speaking realm? And that was real estate. And now how did real estate come into the picture? I've always been interested in real estate, but I never got into it because I was always afraid of the paperwork and the legal side. I didn't, you know, I'm not the paperwork kind of guy, but I went to the conference. I found out I want to be a public speaker in the real estate space. And then I came home and I talked with several friends and I thought, what more, um, you know, what's a better way for me to have more credibility than if I actually get my license and then start speaking. So I'll actually know what I'm talking about. And real estate agents will be able to relate to me. Well, the short version of that story is I studied for seven weeks. I took the test. I went and worked for a buddy of mine who owns a brokerage in town. And he paid me $1,500 a month to be a social media guy. And he'd let me sell property on the side. So I started doing that, sold a few properties. 
I went to a conference in Jackson, Mississippi, and I realized I can, I mean, this is like, I'm just, you know, I'm just starting. There's so much potential here. And so I changed brokerages. I went to Keller Williams and that's when my world exploded in the residential real estate world. It just, it's beyond description what's happened. And before I stop, I want to tell you that all this time when I wasn't making any money, my wife and I had, well, it's really embarrassing, but we had $60,000 in credit card debt that we had gotten throughout this entire eight year journey or, or excuse me, six year journey of not being in the band. Mm-hmm. And it just happened slowly one month at a time, one month at a time. Mm-hmm. And so when I started in real estate in January of 2020, we had a thousand dollar monthly minimum payment that was sitting on our, on our shoulders and that $60,000 debt. And so I knew that our lives, our livelihood depended on me really doing something. All right. So that was two years ago. You brought us up to two years ago. At that point, you discovered you enjoyed speaking about real estate. You enjoyed the actual process of real estate. You got in residential real estate in Mobile, Alabama. That's and it. so you uh, got your feet wet in that, learned, learned the ropes. Tell us about the last two years. So I uh, started in real estate and working with my buddy, uh, he being my broker, we did a lot of owner financing of land. Of course, that was his land that he owned. And, and I had my first sale on day two, which anybody who knows in real estate, that never happens. I had my second sale on day three and I had my third sale on day four. And I thought, holy cow, I'm going to be rich. Hmm. I remember thinking that. And, but it was all small sales, you know, it was just land development. And so I uh, did that. And then I changed over to Keller Williams, started focusing on residential. I got my first listing two weeks after being there. Then a month later, got a second listing and, and things just started to really develop. And the way it developed was I did things that other people were not doing. And that is a lot of concentrated video content. And people could just see they were, you know, they could see that I was transparent. And so uh, my first year of 2020 in real estate, uh, my total revenue for that year was $72,000. Of course, that's before taxes and expenses. Um, but I had still only paid the $1,000 monthly minimum payment on the credit card. So at the beginning of 2021, I essentially still had all of that debt. But that's when things changed and my world really exploded. All right. So go ahead and so don't keep us don't keep us waiting here. I've got some background questions here for you, but I want you <laughs> so to tell you about the or I want you to tell us about the the advance that you made this last year. Yes. So there's this little thing called YouTube. Some of you may have heard about it. <laughs> well, so I started making a lot of video content and I put it on YouTube and I started talking about my city, the city of Mobile, you know, living in Mobile, Alabama and And that's when these buyers started reaching out to me. And these were not leads that I was paying for. I wasn't having to do any work. The phone was just ringing. And so January is when that started and it just developed and grew and grew and grew. And so, you know, I'm in a big office. We have about 240 agents. Well, in the month of February, I was the number one agent in our mobile office. And I thought, I can't believe this is happening. You know, then my gross revenue would be around 20,000 and the next month, 30,000 you know, then I'd maybe dip down to 20,000. Then I went up to 40. Then one month I made $62,000 in gross <laughs> revenue. And then the month of August hit. And that's when we got to write our final check. The bank of America 
And so in eight months time, we paid off that 60,000 in debt and I could barely breathe. I was working so much. I hired a full-time assistant in July. And then about three months later, I brought a good friend of mine on who does my video content, you know, helps me with editing. I brought him on as a full-time position as my videographer. And so, you know, I'm sharing these numbers, what I'm about to share with you now. Uh, I'm doing this to encourage people that think about how like insurmountable $60,000 in debt seems. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had that kind of debt, you might think it's going to take 10 years to pay it off. But over the course of that time, my 1099 for 2021 was $353,000. And it's hard to imagine. Yeah, of course, I've got expenses and of course my assistant and video guy and taxes, but it's truly, <laughs> it's like a miracle, Dan. I mean, That's it's unbelievable. Amazing. And I love every single thing about it. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. You know, you just posted something on Facebook and I follow you. You know, I see your posts coming up and kept in touch over the years. But if I'm not mistaken, if I can enlarge the picture here a little bit, it says a $16 million club for 2021. Is that correct? That's correct. Wow. That is it. Okay. That is amazing. Now, I pulled up just before our conversation here, average income for real estate agents, Alabama being the uh, very first one on the list because of alphabetically. And the average there is 70,686. So what you did the first year was right on track. That is the average income. Goes on other states, you know, Florida, where I live is 68,000, a little lower than that. You know, Arizona, a little 75, California, 81. But anyway, you were right on track at being an average real estate agent when you were doing what everybody else is doing. Now you threw in there a little caveat that is critically important because you're not in a unique industry. You're not in some kind of, you know, cryptocurrency or high tech thing or something that's never been done before. You're in a very, very common profession, real estate, residential real estate agent. But you threw in that you just simply chose to do things that other people are not doing. One of those being video because it fits you, your personality. You're used to being a performer with your music background. You like speaking. You like encouraging, motivating people. You've been reading self-help books for years and years and years. All those things culminate so beautifully in what you're doing. But I love the idea that it's a common profession. You just simply chose to do things that other people are not doing. Now we, That's correct. We, and because of that, too, I mean, most... Uh, Real estate agents are killing themselves, you know, trying to get listings. They go out and knock on 30 doors on a Saturday morning, you know, in the cold of winter, the heat of summer, whatever. You are doing something that is essentially going viral for you, where the phone is ringing, those leads are coming in. Now, I, in, in just kind of wrapping up here, and this has been so encouraging, and I love your, your transparency, but the journey that you've been through addresses so many principles that we try to help people understand in our 48 Days community. We talk a lot about right mindset, right idea, right network. Now, in light of what you're doing, how is mindset? I mean, the, the fact you said you, you know, read the Tony Robbins books and all those things, right mindset. How important is that in where you are today, would you say? Mindset is absolutely everything. And the reason why is in the real estate business, it's 100% commission. And I mean, every single morning, it's like I'm unemployed. And, and so I have to be self-motivated. And I've got to know 
that if I do steps one, two, three, four, five, if I'm faithful in that and follow through with those things that I know, you see, I know these things work. It's been proven, but I've got to continually do them with the long-term in mind. And so that's what's happened is whenever I write a blog on my website or when I upload a video, I don't do it so that I get the gratification immediately. I do it of what's going to happen five years down the road. Dan, everything I do, it's on the five-year plan. Every single thing I do, I'm doing it. And if you do that long enough, then eventually it starts to pay off. And so mindset truly is everything. And you can't let uh, little things stop you. You just have to stay true to what you know is true. Wow, that's that's a beautiful unpacking of mindset. Now, right idea is the second leg then on the three-legged stool. Right idea. Well, you're in real estate. Again, something pretty uh, common. Could you take your mindset, your background, and do something totally different than what you're doing now? Or is what you're doing now the only one right thing where you could be successful? I think I could do a lot of other things because it's a formula that I feel, you know, mindset, it's a formula, but what I've landed on is something that I truly love. So I think I could do other things. Um, Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I talk about a buddy of mine, he owns a lawn company, you know, does bushes, hedges, you know, the grass, the whole nine yards. If he were to do what I'm doing, where you just show your day. Oh, and that's the key. I never, ever, ever, try and sell real estate from video. What I do is I share my day and my experience. So I've told him before, man, if he showed himself, you know, getting on the mower and, you know, talking about something funny and what he did or what he saw that draws people in. (coughs) And, you know, Dan, the other thing that I haven't mentioned yet is my number one job is not to be a great real estate agent. My goal of course is to be a great real estate agent and that's to put my clients first. But my number one job is to be a marketer. Because if people don't know that I'm a real estate agent, they won't reach out to me and I'll never have the opportunity to be a real estate agent. So putting all that in there and I just share my day, I share my life so that I touch people on a daily basis so that they're reminded that I sell real estate. And when it's their time, the phone's going to ring. You know, that is so counter to the way so many people approach your business. You, you said that being on total commissions, you wake up every morning you're essentially unemployed unless you decide to go do something. Because of that, a lot of people only look at what transaction can I make today? You're talking about something totally different. How can I nurture relationships that may not pay off today, this week, this month, or even this year, but they may pay off five years from now? I saw recently a video you put up where you you began, you were laying down on a park bench, and then you got up and took people on a tour of Mobile. I mean, what a precious thing. People can come back to that again and again and again and recognize you're the guy who understands Mobile perhaps better than anybody else. And that's the great thing about YouTube is those videos, they're evergreen. They stay there forever. And that's what makes the phone ring is people, they don't want to know about house tours and those sorts of things. What they want to know is, hey, I'm being forced to move here because of my job or I'm, you know, moving here with my family to retire. Tell me about the city. Tell me about what's the traffic like? What's the weather like? And so that's the focus of all of my videos. And I just, you know, I bring people in. I, it's like they're riding in the car with me as we go on these tours because I want to show them what it's really like. 
And it's different. I'm not trying to sell a house. I'm trying to sell mobile. Now, in doing that, I mean, this is, we have a process where we talk about how to use 15 hours a week to build a business. Most people, when they start a new business, they focus just on the transactions or they get stuck in just the learning phase. They ignore what you just said. That is the marketing side. But you make money when you close deals. You have to carve out time and take away time potentially where you could be closing deals to do this marketing. How do you balance that? Because it obviously takes a significant amount of time. And now you've got a video guy that goes with you to produce these wild videos that are doing the marketing for you. But ultimately, that is not exactly where the money comes from. So in real estate, they talk about this term called lead generation. And it's like, you've always got to be, you know, doing your lead gen, always doing your lead gen. Well, what I realized is anything social media related is lead generation. A lot, a lot of folks are going to think, well, no, you have to be on the phone or you have to be door knocking or, but I lump all of that into lead generation. So uh, we usually shoot at least one YouTube video a week and he hops in the car with me. We do that. Then he'll follow me to a property, sometimes on a listing appointment we uh, work with buyers when there's a home inspection. A lot of times the videographer comes with me and we share that. So the marketing, all of that stuff, it's a huge umbrella that all of those activities fall under. And so for me, it's not so much that I'm setting aside this amount of time, now, which I do, but it's more about that I just share my life. And those things become lead generation activities. All right. Now, what I want people to hear is not how to become another great real estate agent necessarily, but to stay in their zone of genius, as you describe, where this really fits. This really is that sweet spot where your talent, passion, and an economic model or making money come together. But you've, you've described in the third league of the stool, of course, is the right network. So we talked about right mindset, right idea. It could be a lot of ideas. And that's what I want people to hear. It could be that they have a, a tire store or they, they're driving an ice cream truck I mean, or, or have a yard business, a landscape business like you described. But then you also do talk about the power of right network. You talk very proudly about your connection with uh, Zeller Williams. Um, how important is that? I mean, you've created your own team and yet you're so connected. How important is this idea of having the right network? in what you're doing. It is, it is hard to describe how important it is because um, some folks don't want to go this deep, but Dan, there have been so many times when other agents that I've talked to have said, you know, Oh man, I've worked with that agent and they are rough or, Oh man, you know that they're super rough. And then my experience has been great. I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. And the reason why is because it's, it's all about, the relationship, the communication. And so what I try to do is try to be proactive. So we have to get offers accepted. And that agent on the other side, they have to like us. I mean, if they don't like us, it's going to be hard for them to want to get in the middle of a deal with us. Um, so they have to like us. So I go overboard on trying to, you know, grow that relationship, uh, try, try and network and not come up and not come from a place of selfishness, but come from a place of giving and generosity. And, and so there've been a lot of times dealing with other agents. I almost have like a counseling session on the phone with them, or I'm offered to help them for free or do this. And some folks might say, well, wait, but you're giving away stuff. But see, that's that different mentality. I try to pour into people 
And, and what's the phrase you say all the time about a ship and lifting? I can't remember exactly. A rising, a rising tide raises all ships. That's right. And that's the way I try to do with networking because I try and help as many people and try and be as generous as I possibly can. And then I'm taken care of in the process. I'm not worried about myself, but if I'll take care of others in that network, the contractors, the home inspectors, the lenders, the title companies, all those folks I'm connected with, if I'm a blessing to them, I'm going to be taken care of. Wow. Jeff, we've covered so much here. I could go on forever, but you, we've really hit the important highlights of how you do this entire process, how you find your sweet spot, how you find or create work that you love, work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You are such a glowing example of that. Now, here we are, 2022. You talk about doing things five years. I want to put it on my calendar to have you back on in 2027 and get an update. We could do all kinds of speculating about what you want to do. You know, do you want to start your own brokerage? Do you want to, you know, bring on a team of 30 people to leverage what you're doing? I mean, I'm sure you're thinking about the possibilities and exploring them daily as this kind of unfolds for you. But man, congratulations on what you've done. And thank you so much for your willingness to come on here and share what I think is a really important process that you've gone through, again, not for us just to be voyeurs and looking over your shoulder, but for us to understand and be reminded again, what does it take to figure this thing out? So thanks, my friend. Well, thank you, Dan. It's truly an honor. I'm, I'm so grateful for you and your friendship. It's been such a blessing to me. We'll connect people with your uh, with your Facebook link just so they can watch what you're doing. Again, not everybody's going to want to move to Mobile, but again, what you're doing is just a, an encouraging, exciting example of some of the principles we can integrate into doing what we do better. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thank you, Dan. Well, there you go. That's my conversation. So many things we touched on there. Hey, the music, just to remind you, typically I'm answering questions. We'll go back to that again next week. If you got a question, just shoot it in. Go to 48days.com slash askdan. You can leave it there. If you've got a success story you want to share, uh, delighted to hear those as well. But again, 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use your question, We'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Now, again, just to recap here, and we'll just kind of summarize, but you know, most real estate agents, as you heard Jeff talk about, spend up to 70% of their time trying to get listings or finding buyers. Jeff spends that time doing entertaining videos, and now he's adding a podcast. That exposure makes his phone ring. So the very thing that so many real estate agents struggle with, his Phone just rings, so much so that he has assistance just to take the incoming calls. That's obviously doing something different, not being normal. Very, again, common, ordinary profession. There are 1.6 million real estate agents in the United States alone, we're told. Jeff stands out because he's taken a different thing. And look at how what he's doing blends. He, he got a degree in psychology, had a passion for music and performance, wanted to be a speaker, loves real estate. Look at how he's blended those. He's performing, he's entertaining, he's speaking, you know, has music. All those things are in the videos that he's doing, and yet it's opened the floodgates for what he's been able to do in real estate. Well, again, remember Jeff, Jesse Cole's mantra, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Had a conversation this week with Chris Tuff, who has a new book out, um, 
Chris is with an advertising agency in Atlanta, but he's known for the bright yellow glasses, Nike Volt Neon Yellow glasses that he wears. Now, he has five different pairs of these Nike Neon Yellow glasses. He has a brand new Ford Bronco. Guess what color? Volt, Nike Volt Neon Yellow. And that's wrapped with the tattoos that he's got on his arms. Uh, He wears Air Jordan shoes. Guess what color? Volt Neon Yellow. Now, he has countless stories about how those things have opened up conversations that then led to keynote speeches, six-figure consulting engagements, so on and so forth. Now, I'm not that flashy, and I'm not going to do the kind of things that uh, Jeff Jones does, but I could tell you all day long stories about how I'm asked questions about the license plate, 48 days, the license plate on my black Corvette. Just that one little thing has stimulated so many conversations, has led to so many coaching, consulting opportunities, speaking things just like we're talking about here. Just that one little thing. So my question to you is, you know, what is it that you're known for? I mean, you don't have to be outrageous, but you have to be known for something. Now, I'll put the links to uh, Jeff's Facebook in our in our notes, easy to find. I mean, if you go to Facebook and just put in Jeff Jones Realtor, you're going to find him. But we'll put that in there so it's easy to find. You can just see the things he's doing. Again, this is not to turn you into a real estate agent, but it's to turn you into doing something distinctive so you stand out. So the questions again are, how are you developing your right mindset? How are you finding your right idea? How are you connecting to your right network? What is your zone of genius? What makes you distinctive? How are you blending passion, talent, and money? Wow, I mean, just a conversation's prompted me to take a fresh look at those things. I mean, I feel like I'm standing still compared to some of these people I've talked to this last week. I'm looking at things. How can I up my game in the things that I'm doing? Not just... It's not just about making more money, but it's about having more impact. There's a connection between making money and having impact. If you have a message that you want to share that you know will help improve people's lives, yeah, you have an obligation, a stewardship obligation to get that out there. How can you do that more effectively? Well, I hope you enjoyed this. Next week, we'll go back into your questions. Again, send those in. Go to 48days.com slash askdan to submit those. We'll be back in those next week, but thanks for listening, for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, and for believing and taking action on this, knowing that without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week. This could be your chance.